Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Hey, hey, and welcome to another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thank you so much for pulling your chair up to the cool kids table. Hey, we are at episode, gosh, I think it's 455, and we are certainly chasing down that five-year mark that we've been doing this podcast, and I started the show because I desperately believe that success leaves clues, and this was my chance to get access to really cool entrepreneurs who were doing things and were successful, hoping along the way they would leave ideas and nuggets and theories and things that I could pick up on for my own business And also, all of you who listen along and have been part of this community could also pick up ideas that will help you in your entrepreneurial journey. So today's episode is another one of those episodes that is co-produced with the Austin Technology Council. Now, I am so happy of this partnership because they have been great to work with, and they have brought me some of their amazing members who are doing the coolest things in Austin. And ATC is the largest tech industry organization in Central Texas. And they empower their members by using insights, resources, and connections so that their members can succeed and thrive. Now, before I get started with today's episode, I have to thank the sponsor, and that is my friends at Amplifier. Now, many of you offer physical products to your fans and your customers, but we all know that dealing with those things, packing them up and shipping them, probably going to the post office, that just wastes all your time. Well, the folks at Amplifier blend order fulfillment screen printing, and on-demand production into a self-service platform that you control. Hey, they integrate with your e-commerce shop, and if you're doing a giveaway campaign, they can run that for you too. They're great for big companies or small solo entrepreneurs like me, and they're who I work with for those t-shirts that many of you have bought that say, Try New Things, and you can go over to trynewthings.shop, get one of those shirts ordered, and it'll be the people at Amplifier who will take care of getting that all shipped out and printed and into your hands. Go over to Amplifier.com slash cool things and sign up today. So today's episode, we are going to talk about AI and machine learning. And of course, unless you're living under a rock, that is a really hot topic. A couple months ago, back at the South by Southwest conference, uh, I was looking through the agenda and there are so many, I mean, there's like 500 choices that you have like every day that you can go to. And AI was probably one of the top one or two topics, the other one being the cannabis industry, uh, that you could go to and learn. And uh, actually, today's guest is one of Austin's kind of hottest CEOs and founders and chief scientists from one of Austin's uh, hottest companies in that space, Valkyrie Intelligence. So, Charlie Burgoyne, welcome to Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thanks, Tom, for having me. Hey, I appreciate you. Yeah, I appreciate you being part of the show. So, I don't really do long bios. Why don't you tell everybody about your company and what you do? Yeah, you bet. Uh, So, Valkyrie is basically a collection of strategists and scientists, and uh, we come from lots of different types of backgrounds, from academic labs to government labs to industrial labs, and basically, we've created a a firm that specializes in making machine learning real. Um, using machine learning and, and what a lot of people call AI, but I'm sure we'll get into the details of that definition today, uh, bringing those things to life for real challenging applications within the industrial space. 
So you you have a background in academia, but you walked away from that. What led you to become an entrepreneur? Sure. So I I left uh, with my you know I left my graduate program after my master's on my on my way through my PhD um, left so that I could pursue something that was a little bit more uh, tangible. I wanted to actually have an impact with the science that I was passionate about in an, an area where we could see actual results. So um, I'm a I'm a classically trained um, physicist, studied mostly astro, um, and it was mostly theoretical uh, physics. But I went into the industrial sector so that I could uh, make a real difference with with the beautiful symmetries and nuances of math. Um, don't really get to impact most people's lives studying gamma ray bursters, uh, <laughs> but you can't impact people's lives modeling complex systems in their ecosystem. When you talk about things like theoretical physics, uh, the average person like myself, you know, kind of glasses over. I have uh, my future son-in-law is getting a PhD right now in uh, mathematics, and I don't even have a clue to understand what, you know, this theoretical sort of fifth dimension of mathematics is all about. In fact, when he was trying to decide what area of math he was going to study, I looked at him and said, uh, you mean like multiplication, addition, subtraction? And he just looked at me like, that's not funny. But I don't even understand. So what is sort of theoretical physics? What's, what's that all about? Um, well, gosh, uh, <laughs> could talk about that for a long time. Um, but, but in short, it's, it's basing, uh, it's creating theories about the state of our universe, the state of systems that we interact with every day, and building models to try and explain those systems. Um, theoretical physics specifically, as opposed to experimental uh, <clears throat> physics, or these days computational physics, um, doesn't have data to train on as much as we seek to understand the basic rules of math and the universe to explain phenomenon that we've either observed or we think we potentially observe. Um, so one of my favorite examples is uh, Hawking radiation, named after um, the very famous Stephen Hawking. And um, basically Hawking radiation is this weird thing that happens at the edge of a black hole uh, and can only be detected. Um, well, these particles have these very special patterns to them um, that we can identify if we were to ever observe them. You know, Stephen and his partners made those observations uh, or created the, the underlying physical explanation for those models long before they ever observed Hawking radiation. Um, but sure enough, 20 years later, we observed that that was an actual phenomenon. So it's postulating that there could be a phenomenon even if there's no data to empirically back that up. So you left all that research behind and, and went into the applications that you're working on now. So what do you actually love about the life of being an entrepreneur versus, say, being a researcher? Um, so being an entrepreneur presents relatively unique challenges that oscillate with irregular frequencies <laughs> so, <laughs> the answer so in such a nerdy way but <laughs> yes, I was gonna um, say that I, might be the nerdiest answer we've ever had but i, I kind of like it it's just uh i just have all of these asynchronous problems that you don't get exposed to every day they're it's different every single day um i have never had two days that were alike um and so my my project right as an entrepreneur is to optimize uh, an ecosystem that i more or less have a good degree of control of. Right? I understand that my input variables are not uh, dimensions or weight or mass or you know flux or intensity, but 
culture and personnel and um, budgets and focus and projects. Um, so for me, you know, we, Valkyrie studies models. We, we create models to understand systems, but we're also kind of a model in and of ourselves. And that's, that's as close as I get to, to uh, quantify and empirically <laughs> base the, the life of an entrepreneur. So you did your academic studies on the East Coast, and I'm doing this from memory because it's been a couple of weeks since I, I looked at your bio, but I think you went to George Washington and then Georgetown, or maybe I have that right. reversed. Nope. So you were in Washington, D.C. What led you to Austin, Texas? Oh, gosh, it's, uh, it's a less interesting story than you'd guess. <laughs> I was working for a small startup at the time, my first startup. Um, I was employee number three or four. And Virginia was introducing a lot of legislation to tax intangible assets, which included patents. And we were heavily focused on patents at the time. So we had to find another state, basically, to move research and development. Um, we looked at Florida, we looked at Wyoming, and we looked at Texas. And finally, we settled on Austin. Um, and it was a difficult transition for a lot of members of our team, but uh, it ended up being pretty fortuitous. Austin's a great place to have a startup. Yeah, so I was going to get into this later, but why is Austin a great spot for that? I mean, this episode is sponsored by the Austin Technology Council. So one of the things we always yeah. talk about with the, the entrepreneurs we interview is why, why Austin? Why is it so great? Sure. Um, well, we spend a good amount of time talking to startups, um, either directly or by proxy with one of our clients that spends a lot of time working with startups in different parts of the country. So Silicon Valley, for sure. And then also more and more in New York uh, are becoming um, big hotbeds for start startups. Boston's kind of always been there uh, as well. Um, but what makes Austin special is that we're really not as growth-driven as some of those other areas. We're much more value-driven. Um, so you see a lot of companies that, are, that play their operating budgets very conservatively, they're very keen to deliver real value, to grow, um, maybe at a slower rate, but a, at a more um, uh, tangible <laughs> rate. Um, they're less interested in the gigantic multiplier unicorn status. They're much more interested in um, building up a book of business and growing, growing a, a business of integrity out. Uh, we're not really talkers. We're, we're kind of more walkers. And, I, and that's one of the reasons I like Austin so much. So is there an AI and machine learning community that you've gotten plugged into or do you guys, I know there is, but are, do you guys kind of like just go about your business and not pay that much attention to who else is here? Uh, we, we were, you know, in the early, early days. So um, early days, it, it, two, we're a two year old company. So how early could it be? <laughs> but when we first got started, we were more concerned or we were tracking other players in our space. Um, but frankly, in the last six to nine months we've just stopped tracking them largely because for a couple of reasons one um, the space is getting better definition is it's expanding uh, so there's less overlap for capabilities between us and other folks in town um, but we've really solidified our our role our portfolio um, our capabilities in a way that uh, I, I i really i think we've we've kind of dominated our particular space pretty effectively and we're, we're not really interested in the folks in town who are working in this domain, but we're more targeting the larger consulting firms and larger capabilities based predominantly in, in New York and, and Boston. So what advice do you have for somebody who wants to start their own company? I mean, the people who listen to the show are kind of all over the map. So it's people like me who are just a solopreneur who has, you know, just a speaking and consulting business to people who have, 
you know, dreams of growing a company that's going to eventually go public or, or get bought or have something like that. So what advice do you have for somebody, no matter where they are on that spectrum, who wants to make some sort of a leap? Because obviously, you know, it's a big leap from going from the world of academia into, you know, what you were talking about. Now you have to manage all these different moving parts of a company. What advice do you have for someone? Um, well, I, so <laughs> I guess my number one piece of advice is that there's no such thing as the right advice <laughs> for an entrepreneur, right? Every single scenario is different and it has to be, otherwise it won't, it won't work. You can't be formulaic. You can't rely too much on the advice of others. You have to really be driven by a core vision and then an unflinching commitment to realize that vision. Um, so we've done weird things by most standards on, you know, on paper for startup uh, at Valkyrie, but their decision, you know, the decisions that we made have been quite fortuitous for our team. Um, and I would say to any entrepreneur, you know, there are very difficult days where you have to be so driven by your mission that uh, you can get through it. Um, even for exciting startups like ours, where we've got, you know, lots of exciting potential and everything's on our way for the most part, there's still really challenging days that I have to deal with and face and major quandaries. And I rely on the supportive network of my friends and family to make the right decision. Um, and then the other thing I'd say is that you really can't be motivated by, by the, by major equity <laughs> actions or transactions um, down the road. So uh, I'm pretty allergic to working closely with startups who have goals of going public or getting sold. Um, just because the general rule, you should be driven by the, the charter and the mission um, of the business and be totally agnostic to what happens down the road. If it's the best thing for, the, for your vision to be acquired, then that's fantastic. If the best thing for your, your vision is to stay private, then that's fantastic. Um, but when we start talking to startups who potentially have data feeds that are valuable to us or our, or our hedge fund uh, or to our clients, um, it's a big red flag to me when they talk about, you know, their exit strategy aggressively, because um, that's a sign that they're not actually motivated necessarily as much by the work as we'd like them to be. So you talked about having difficult days. I mean, without divulging anything that's sort of, you know, on the secret side of your business, what's been some of the most difficult things you've had to deal with in this role? Um. So there are a lot, I mean, there are typical services, business woes. Um, sometimes you, you look forward to a, a project or an opportunity and it adjusts last minute and you have to scramble to make resources line up with the, the change. Um, you have, you know, in our space, we, we're doing really interesting, catchy things. Uh, and so you get a lot of attention from companies that kind of want to kick the tires and just learn more about what you're doing took us a while. I mean, it took us a solid, our first year of business was, you know, reacting to every potential inbound opportunity, but, uh, um, you know, it was bigger, but, but now we've kind of learned that how to identify those who are just curious about the field, which is fantastic. Uh, and those who want to engage with a, a, a larger program. Um, we, we absolutely interact with both, you know, uh, as, as much as possible, but, uh, we frame them slightly differently so that, you know, we're, we're able to execute as fast as possible as we've continued to grow. You know, we're, um, we, we've had a, we had a really great 2018. Um, we're looking at an even better 2019, significantly better 2019, um, still completely unfunded, no investors, no need for outside capital or debt. Um, 
but when we, we look at that portfolio, you know, it's harder and harder to sell bigger and bigger companies. Uh, and so that's required us to adapt our business development approaches. Um, it's easier for a, a small, uh, mid-sized, you know, regional bank to move forward on a, uh, on a machine learning program than it is for Bank of America with a company that's less than two years old, right? Um, now, I'd put our capabilities against, you know, the, the actual, you know, behemoths in our space, the McKinsey's and such. Uh, I, put, I put our scientists against them any day of the week. Um, but, uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we have the, you know, we also don't have the brand cachet that some of them do. So those pitches get more aggressive, more difficult to, to line up sometimes. So how many employees do you have now? Uh, the, the whole team across our operations is about 23 people. So that's pretty good growth for a couple of years for, for a small company that doesn't, doesn't have funding. Uh, and you know, in just chatting with you, you're, you're what I would call sort of a left-brained professional. I mean, clearly, you know, you are that physicist. What's the hardest part being CEO, having to deal with 25 people? Uh, so, <laughs> and, and, and I don't mean I don't mean to be condescending in any in any yeah. way. I have a lot of friends though who are scientists who say or or mathematician who will say. You know, if, if life would be great if I didn't have to deal with all these people. But as you have a company that's growing, that's clearly going to keep growing in that role. I'm just curious, what's the hardest part as you take on all of these people that you now have to be responsible for? Um, yeah, so I had the opportunity to, to build a relationship with a, a, a talented CEO. Um, you recognize his name, but I want to protect him for the sake of this anecdote. Um, but he and I grabbed lunch a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking about this exact challenge. And he's very left-brained as well, um, uh, very involved in the tech space. And um, what we realized is that, well, what, was, what he was shown <laughs> by his, uh, his HR team a couple of years ago was that he's extremely introverted, but he has such a love of people and relationships that he feigns extroversion for the sake of those relationships. And, and I'm very much the same way. So you know, for a lot of left brain folks, it is extremely difficult to manage teams and, you know, cultivate a culture that is conducive to, to the human element. Um, but I'm, I've been very blessed and super fortunate that I, I'm just super invested in, in my team. So when we have a, you know, a, t a new scientist who um, just today, I, I watched a, a scientist um, who's only been in services for you know, a year, less than a year. Um, she briefed one of our biggest clients on, you know, breaking down a very complex algorithm. And that means a lot to me. You know, I, I, I invest, in, I know a lot of people say that I really, I really do get a lot out of seeing my team grow um, and, and own domain and build self-esteem and, and become really competent professionals in our space. Um, so for me, you know, the reward, the, the, the challenges around human um, training and, and human management and people management is those are they're real challenges, but I do get a lot of reward out of seeing that kind of growth. That's awesome. So one of the things I do is, is I teach companies, I go in and work with teams about what I call the gap between potential and performance. And I think it's a real thing. I've interviewed, you know, 400 people about this and everybody says that they see that many of their teammates or even themselves could be doing more. They have more potential than they're actually reaching and so I've, I've asked people across the board, why do you think when someone starts a company, 
usually everybody goes, wow, look at this. They have a great idea. They put together a good team. They have so much potential. But not all these companies succeed. Not all of them start to get traction like you're seeing now at two years. So how come some people are able to navigate that gap between potential and performance and other people just sort of fall into the abyss and their company fails? Why do you think, what do you think that delta is? Um, so my uh, thesis advisor in uh, undergrad, he once told me something. It's, it ruined my career. He told me this one bit of advice. It totally ruined my career. And that is, um, in all things, you're either progressing or you're regressing. Nothing is static ever. Uh, and because of that, you need to evaluate yourself in, in all the dimensions of your life to figure out when, what things are making the right kind of progress and which things need more attention because they're regressing. And, um, and that has truly ruined my career. I am not capable of being complacent in any of my ecosystems. I'm constantly looking to optimize that because of the delta that permeates between potential and, and, uh, and wait, I'm, production or what? Well, the, uh, performance or results. I mean, I, I yeah, kind of sure. use them interchangeably, but it's, it's the gap yeah. between production and I'm sorry, now I said production, but the gap between potential and, and results. Yeah. Yeah. I think that gap is just something that, um, I inherently can't ignore, um, and well, it's not even inherently, I actively can't ignore it. Um, and my, and the Valkyrie team is comprised, you know, of people who innately understand that they're smarter than I am. They figured that out innately when they were five or six. It took me until I was, you know, <laughs> in, in undergrad to figure that out and, and actively work on that. But, um, but yeah, I, I think that that's absolutely a gap and that's the only really thing you can measure yourself. You know, I look back on 2018 and, um, by all accounts and measures on paper, we, we were just a, uh, we were just an incredible, we were just super blessed and fortunate to have the year that we had. And I still am focusing on the, the fields. And I just think about 2018, the things that we could have done a little bit better and worked on a little bit harder. Um, people have a relative spectrum, right? They're always adjusting their spectrum of comfort. And I think that applies for a business or understanding of a business as well. What is amazing for one company is um, leaves room for improvement to another company. Uh, and, uh, and we're just, we're driven folks. We're, we're completely unstoppable on that front. Well, and of all the people I've, I've interviewed, the ones who I think are the most sort of on fire are the ones who, even when they do great, they're like, could we have done a little better? Where's the area where, you know, we still fell into that gap? And it seems that uh, you seem to have that, that in spades. Yeah, we have a lot to to grow still um, a lot to, to grow, to go from, from here with. Um, but, uh, but luckily, you know, the, the challenges we're, we're pressing on are, are about meeting that potential, not, not hitting minimum performance. Right. Hey, I've got a couple more questions for you, Charlie, but first I have sure. to thank the other sponsor of this episode. So this episode is brought to you by Podfly productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. They set you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure that you sound amazing. Podfly does all the heavy lifting and the technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing really cool people like Charlie. Hey, if you want to start a podcast, and I know some of you do, jump over to podfly.net slash cool things and check out the offer that they have for the listeners of this program. 
So, Charlie, I call the show Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Overall, what's the coolest thing your company is doing right now? Um, so, can I answer in a couple of different spaces? Yeah, you can answer it in a couple of different ways, and maybe you can tell us in that a little bit more about uh, machine, machine learning and, and the uh, AI. Yeah, you bet. Um, so, I'll, I'll answer uh, kind of the, the client impact and then the cultural bit and then the, the actual well, at a high level, the science stuff we're doing, because it's, it's kind of fancy stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so from a, from a um, output standpoint, I would say the most interesting thing we're working on right now is predicting the value of assets. Um, we work with a lot of financial services companies, investment firms, um, even people who are trying to monitor their own ROI and spend. Uh, and we make predictions about the value of something given a period of time. Um, we use really interesting techniques that we're pretty tight-lipped about. Um, they're, they're internally generated R&D projects that are, that are generating these, uh, these insights. Um, but I would say that, you know, that, that's the thing that we're passionate about. That's our, definitely our biggest differentiator um, in, in our space, in our domain, that, that we, are, we are definitively... Um, modeling the most interesting changes in investments and, and, and assets. Um, and uh, I would say that the most interesting cultural component is um, the fact that we have effectively managed to build a 50% um, women team uh, in a highly, you know, highly male dominated STEM field. Um, I'm super passionate about that charter. Um, our leadership team is, is divided up between men and women uh, our science teams divided up between men and women. Our strategy teams, all women. Our business development teams, all women. Um, now, strategy teams, small. Where it's, a, it's our newer discipline. It's growing. Um, but, uh, you know, I come from, you know, my mother's a, a scientist. Um, my, my dad was a scientist when he went, to, went into medicine. Uh, my sisters are both data scientists. And for me, championing women who work in STEM Creating, creating environments where they don't have to second guess their capability or their contributions because of their gender um, to own the direction as much as anybody else. Um, that was a, that was always been intuitive for me just because of the way I was raised. Um, but I'm, I'm extremely proud of the fact that we've been able to, to extend those values to the, to the, to the organization. And I, I think we're, we've got to be the most, gender diverse company in our field. I, I, I don't know. I could be wrong. I haven't actually done the data, but, um, well, it couldn't be more so. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, as the father of two very smart daughters, uh, yeah. I, I love that. I think that that's, that's awesome. I've got a daughter who's about to graduate college and a daughter who will be a high school senior next year. And so about to go to college. And you know, that's, I think that's a great, a great cause. I've always tried to teach them. They can do whatever they want. Sure. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I'll be a father soon in middle of July, first time, which I'm extremely excited about. Wow, congr- um, congratulations. Well, there's a new little startup for you. Thank you. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, my, my first uh, moving lab where I can experiment with all sorts of different uh, uh, <laughs> challenges, you know, experiment to understand the, the nature of intelligence. That's the goal. There you go. Well, uh, nice. As, as, as a scientist, I'm pretty sure you're going to end up with an actress or an actor. So <laughs> That's the way it works, right? Yeah. We, we hope so. hope something you know, interesting and, and uh, uh, a little bit different to mix up the, the Thanksgiving room 
the Thanksgiving table. I always say that um, I couldn't have two more different children if I was part of a weird science experiment. That's funny. That's funny. So um, but let's yeah, talk so a little bit then about, about the, uh, the, the machine learning and the AI and what makes that so cool. Sure. Yeah. So on the, on the AI, the ML and AI side, um, and AI really you know, requires a lot of context because it's, it's, not, it's not actually a thing, um, but it's become colloquially a thing. Um, machine learning has, has only recently been able to instrument, has been only able, recently able to be instrumented um, with the technologies that have, have come over in the last couple of years. In other words, we have lots of algorithms, approaches, methodologies that we've, we've had for several decades. And it's only recently that we've been able to actually instrument them. And those are some of the advances you're seeing. Um, in other words, we're not really making a lot of progress around understanding the nature of intelligence. We're just making progress that instrumenting old things faster. And so uh, at Valkyrie, there are kind of two areas of research that we're pressing um, aggressively. One's in the domain of knowledge engineering, specifically around applications in the field of math, discrete math called graph theory. And this is basically uh, our way of trying to replicate the structures through which we store information. Um, and I kind of leave it at that. Uh, there are lots of really interesting topical and substantive applications of that research that we put into client work um, that's truly transformative. But our real aspiration is to eventually get to the point where we're able to reverse engineer the nature of intelligence, uh, and that requires a comprehensive uh, ecosystem that we call the nexus uh, to to understand that. And that's that's our that's our core um, R and D effort right now. Um, the other side that that we do that that is extremely exciting. Um, we, we're very adept at bringing the latest um, open source capabilities, the, the latest. Um, uh, foundational research to an actual exemplification really, really quickly. Um, so whether it come, whether it's with a, a telecommunications client we had where we were able to produce um, an algorithm to understand the way people interact with each other um, before Berkeley was able to publish a paper on it, uh, or if it comes, or if it, if it uh, comes to showing a, a demonstration of the latest in computer vision techniques and merging a couple of techniques together to demonstrate those capabilities. Um, that's, that's, really, that's really the other part of, of our secret sauce is um, just having the in-house expertise needed in order to, to bring those capabilities to market as, as fast as possible. Oh, I think that's awesome. So, Charlie, before I let you go, I've got one more question that I love to ask everybody who comes on this program, and that is when you look out at the world of, of entrepreneurs, when you look at the entrepreneurosphere, who do you look at and say, wow, she or he, they're doing cool stuff? Because I, I think entrepreneurs are observers. And so I get such great answers when I talk to people like you about who do you think's doing the really cool stuff out there? Sure. Uh, well, Valkyrie certainly has companies that we looked up to as we've gotten, uh, gotten our, our sea legs. Um, I've gotten off our sea legs, rather. <laughs> um, I think that you know the work that Hillary Mason did with a company called Fast Forward Labs, which recently was acquired by Cloudera. I think she was just a, a totally inspirational figure um, to press forward uh, um, the capabilities of Fast Forward Labs. They were based in New York originally, and then they, they've uh, a lot of their team's still there, but now they're a subsidiary of Cloudera. Um, I think she's totally inspirational. Um, I think that the the work that's done at a company called Quantum Black, um, which is basically a 
large version of, of Valkyrie that was originally based in the UK. Um, they're an inspirational company um, for me. Simon leads that that uh, a lot of those efforts is a is a real uh, real visionary. Uh, in fact, a good friend of mine is is going over to work on his team, and I'm very excited for her about that. Um, and then I but I also look to people who are you know just wholeheartedly um, committed uh, to to transforming you know the, the environment around them based on their vision. You know, I think about the industrial designers like Johnny Ive over at Apple um, and his relentless pursuit of things that are are beautiful and usable. Um, I think about him from time to time when we're working on our proprietary hardware, the Mark One. Um, so we we build our own hardware here in the lab. Um, I, I think a lot about, and then I, I think there are also counterexamples. Um, like I'm not shy of saying it. You know, I, I think that some of the the misrepresentations about the field of AI, the, the field of generalized intelligence that are, that are pushed forward by um, people like Elon Musk are, are really problematic. You know, I, I, I dissent strongly from that opinion uh, about uh, about the state of AGI. Um, and, you know, I just I pay attention to some of the actions of, of folks like that. And, and I realize that there are things to things to avoid. Um, I think keeping your your ego, your pride in check, having a good dose of humility, um, and realizing how many people it took in this you know exciting last two years, how many people it took for us to get here, um, is really important. Um, and making sure the team knows, I think that's important. You know, um, so reaching out, having one on one with the, just just about everybody in the team, um, I, I reach out and say, hey, I know you're. You're working hard. I know you've got a lot on your plate. I appreciate it. Team appreciates it. If I can help, you know, unload some of that, I will. Um, and don't be afraid to reach out. Saying little things like that and let them, reminding them that it's not, you know, it's not just about, you know, this this legacy that we want to leave for the company. We want, we want to all own it. I mean, we're we're building we're building, you know, twenty plus brands here. Is the way I think about it. Um, and uh, um, and, you know, we have no choice but to have, for the first two years, it's been very centered on, on my personality, and it's becoming less so. Um, and I think that's a really great thing, and I'm, I'm glad that the team's excited to, to contribute to that voice. Um, but you, you just have to be considerate. You have to be thinking about others. You have to be thinking, you have to be as selfless as possible, because this is a very, you know, most visions are bigger than one person. Uh, and this, the one at Valkyrie, the division of Nexus is certainly much bigger than one person. Well, I'm excited because I think big things lie ahead for you and, and Valkyrie and the stuff that everyone told me before uh, you agreed to be on the show. I was excited because I'm it's way over my head, but this stuff excites me just because I think what's going to happen in the next 20 years with so many different things in our society, it's going to come right out of the type of work that you're doing. I think it's exciting. And uh so I was looking forward to interviewing you, but your attitude and the way you run your business and the way you look at your employees and the future, I, I sort of have that little uh, tingle that I get where I think, oh yeah, in about five years, someone's going to be like, how do you know Charlie? How did, how did you get to interview Charlie on your little podcast? Oh, I don't know about that. Well, I don't know. We'll, we'll, keep, we'll keep watching. We're keeping our, our nose to the ground and, and getting, you know, building our reputation from, from how we deliver. And so we'll, we'll stick on that. I, I appreciate it. It's very flattering, but I, I think, you know, if you just spend a day in our lab, you'd be just impressed by everybody who's in here. It's just, it's just a great, great cohort we have here. 
Awesome. Well, thank you so much for agreeing to be on Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. If anybody needs to know more about you, about Valkyrie La- uh, Intelligence, how do they find you? Yeah, the easiest is just uh, visit us at valkyrie.ai. Um, actually, brand new website went up today. Special shout out to Madhavi Rao, uh, our uh, chief strategy officer who led that effort. She did a tremendous job. So, um, yeah, please, please reach out. We love interesting problems. So this, if there's a problem that you're trying to tackle and, and you're, you've got the sixth sense that there must be a better way to do it, um, we've got a 100% record on identifying the better way to do it. We have, we have, we have a perfect batting average so far. So please reach out. We'd love to talk to you about how we can help. Awesome. Well, again, thanks for being on the show. And thank you to everybody who tuned in and listened. I say it every time. If it wasn't for the audience, there'd be no reason for this podcast. Uh, we are up to over 450 episodes. We're going to be back next week with an interview with somebody who's just as cool as Charlie. I know you're thinking, well, Tom, how is that possible? But we do it every single week. Uh, also, the Tuesday shows is uh, usually just me tackling something uh, that I observed in my own business. So tune in every Tuesday and Thursday for the next episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. And again, thank you to the Austin Technology Council for partnering with us for that first episode of every month. And uh, you know what? Go out there and try something new. And in the meantime, have a great day while you're doing it. Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter at, at TomSinger. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.